Mark chapter 14. We're going to be looking at two passages today as we uh, study this morning the sermon that I believe God has for us. John chapter number 6 this morning and Matthew 14 chapter number or verse number 1. Well, to encourage you today that the Lord, I believe, is just looking for us to have a lunch bag of faith. A lunch bag of faith. In our message this morning, I should say, I should back up a little bit. In our messages on Sunday mornings, we have been focusing in on our testimony and our witness for Jesus Christ. We did so by looking at uh, Zacchaeus. We also did so by understanding some of these uh, parables that Jesus Christ gave concerning these feasts and these meals and how we saw that in that last one he commands them and tells them to compel them to come in. Well, today in our reading and our account, we're going to see two different stories, two different Completely different stories and completely different people and completely different scenarios. But uh, there are two very uh, good commands. There are two antagonizing questions, but two different accounts. But in all of it, there is one, I believe, very distinct message in it all that we're going to see today. And that message is really simple. And that is that uh, sometimes we allow a lack of faith to hinder our usefulness or as we're going to be seeing this morning, our witness that we can have for the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two passages that we have in front of us, the first one, the feeding of the 5,000, John 6, and then the second one, the lady with the alabaster box, uh, both of these, I believe, capitalize upon the lack of faith or little faith, you might say, that the disciples had. But their lack of faith and little faith should inspire that God is still ready to supply and He still wants to use us. Their lack of faith gave them an inability, if you will, to see the needs of others. It also did not allow them to see the great supply and the great significance of the Savior, Jesus Christ. That Jesus is worthy of all our praise that we can give and we must share that with others like the lady with the alabaster box did. Too many times when I fail to do that is that in those areas of my life and Christian life that I fail to see the needs of others and I fail to see the significance of lifting Christ up. We must never feel and we must never think to ourselves that God can never use me I believe that is a great travesty and I believe that's a great blight upon the Lord. That's a great lack of faith and it's really saying that God isn't big enough to use me. But I'll tell you, He's a big God and He can use us. And that's the positive side of the message this morning. Is that God can and still wants to use us. If He uses, if He can use a little lad, a little boy in His lunch, 
with a few sardines and a couple of barley loaves, and I can tell you, my friend, he can use you. If he can use a prostitute that has been uh, changed in her life and has become a follower of Christ, he can use you. If he can use a lady that had seven demons in her and was cast out and became a disciple of the Lord, uh, he can use you. If he can use a foul-mouthed fisherman, I'll tell you what, he can use you. Uh, God has the great gift and the great ability and the great design and the great intellect and the great power to be able to use what he wants and how he wants to use them. And I pray that today we'll see that God wants to turn our faith, he wants us to have great faith. He wants us to be an effective witness for Christ, but to do so, I believe there's some three key actions that we're going to need to take. They're all found here in these two stories that we have laid out in front of us. Let's go ahead and read our uh, accounts here, and then we'll get right into the message this morning. You're at John chapter number 6 is where we'll start at, and then we'll turn over to Mark 14. The Bible reads for us like this. It says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus set up unto a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples in the Passover, and a feast of the Jews was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that we that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he knew him for he himself knew what he would do. I'm not preaching on this this morning, but do you realize that God does things in your life to prove you, to test you, to try you? Why do you think that the Bible, or that we call them trials? They're there to try us. That's what they're there for. They're trials. They're proving grounds. They're testing grounds. And... A lot of times we're like Philip, we don't pass the test, right? But God knows what we'll do. God is not setting us up, but what He is doing for us in those times of testing and the times of trial, like He does with Philip here, is that He is giving, excuse me, is giving to us the ability to know where we're at with God. To know where we're at with God. Sometimes a student may feel that the teacher is picking on them with some pop quiz or some test. And that the student feels like maybe the teacher is getting an advantage over them because of some hard question that was given. But the test is not given for the teacher's sake. Never is a test given by a teacher for the teacher's sake. The test is given for the student's sake. So the student might know where they're at. That's why they give quizzes before tests, right? So you can get an idea, get an idea where you're at with things, and so that you can improve for the test that is about to come. Sometimes we get quizzes from God. Small trials, small things. Sometimes we get tests from God. And if I can continue to use the educational system Sometimes we get midterms, and sometimes we get finals. We get them all. 
They come in different varieties and in different ways. But God does this in order to prove us and try us, to make us better, fit for the kingdom of God. And so he does so with Philip, and Philip answers him, What shall we buy bread that these may eat? As he said to prove him, for he knew himself what he would do, Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the men sit down. And there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in the number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, the disciples to them that were set down, likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that, none, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them two together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Now take your Bibles over to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 14. We'll read verses 1 through 9. Again, these stories have nothing in common in the sense that they are not interrelated, interconnected, one is really in the middle of Jesus' ministry with the feeding of the 5,000, and here we have at the end of Jesus' ministry. But I believe they're intimately connected in our subject and our theme this morning. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death, but they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment and of spike her very precious. She break the box and poured it on the on his head. And there were some that in indignation within themselves said, said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? We later on in other accounts find out that it was Judas, the traitor, that led the charge with that interrogating question. But the other disciples were not far behind. They agreed with him. Why should she waste this? For it had been sold for, if it had been sold for more than 300 pence, that is a year's worth of salary, and had given to the poor, they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble her? He heard. She had wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whatsoever ye will may do, may do them good, but me ye have not always. She had done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body, anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of her for a memorial. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful that, Lord, that you give us the instructions that we need according to it. And we pray that today, Lord, we will heed and listen to what you have for us this morning. Now give us grace to obey your word. Give us grace, Lord, as we follow in your word. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
three action steps that I want to present to you this morning so that we don't have our faith be hindering the work of the gospel. Number one, I would tell you this, don't question the work. Don't question the work. The second thing is this, is determined to give. And thirdly, do what you can. Don't question the work. In both instances, you find that these disciples are going to question the work that is being done in each passage. Jesus in John chapter number 6 and verse number 5 says to the disciples, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? Um, We need to feed this crowd, he's telling them. We need to take care of them. Jesus was not just concerned about people's spiritual well-being. He was concerned about their physical well-being. Jesus is saying, hey, they're famishing. Uh, If we send them away to the villages and the towns, they won't make it there. Some of them will pass out. Some of them will be famished. And he says, uh, how are we going to feed this crowd here today? He was looking for a solution is what he was doing. He was doing a brainstorming operation. But the disciples were not ready to jump on board, if you will. They have a very big problem here. They have 5,000 plus men uh, that need to be fed. That's not including the women and the children. The other situation that is at hand in Mark chapter 14 is that you have a woman who wastes a whole year's worth of salary in just one moment. That's a problem that the disciples seem to think that it is. Or to say the disciples seem to think that it is a problem. But in both situations, the disciples' concern is for the poor, and their, 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 their concern is hypocritical. And the one, you have the feeding of the 5,000, they claim to not have enough to feed the poor. They say, Oh, we don't need, we had 200 penny worth of bread. If we had uh, 200 penny worth of bread, we wouldn't be able to feed everybody that's here. If we had, you know, two thirds of a year's worth of salary, we wouldn't be able to have enough food to feed everybody that's here, Jesus. Don't you realize that? In the other one, uh, their situation is this, is that they question the use of this display of worship by this woman as if they cared for the poor. So you're seeing the contrast here? The one, they say, we don't have enough money to feed the poor. The other one, they say, why didn't you sell this and give it to the poor? And you see the contrast here, the hypocriticalness to in both situations here. When a solution is provided, a question of doubt rises even within them. A solution in the one case, uh, a little boy has got a lunch, but uh, Andrew is questioning this. What are these among so many? In the other place, uh, a question is brought up to, why didn't we give this to the poor? Jesus says, let her alone. Leave her alone. When given an opportunity to witness... Sometimes we could all be guilty of doing like the disciples. Giving excuses, if you will. I just don't have the time to tell somebody about the Lord. I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength. I don't, not skilled enough. 
But in the same sense, sometimes when we see others giving the gospel, and I've seen Christians do this, is they say, they're so fanatical. Oh, they're so uh, out of reason. Sometimes, sadly, there are parents or grandparents that when a child or a teenager decides to give their life over for the gospel, they say, well, you could be doing something so much better with your life. That's been said many a times. We need to be very careful in what we say about the gospel. We want the gospel to be preached. We want the gospel to go out. We want the gospel, we want people to be saved. Uh, But let us be careful in what we think of others that are giving the gospel and are preaching the gospel. Sometimes we say, well, they're just causing problems with the gospel. Not too long ago, we had a, a missionary that was with us. Uh, to Scotland, appreciated his, uh, I guess, vigor to get the gospel out. One of the ways in which they do so is every Thursday they go out on the street and they preach the gospel. They've been doing that ever since they got to Scotland and they've uh, done it for so long and they've gotten so much respect garnered from that experiences there that the uh, town that they live in respect them and they say, yes, you can preach the gospel. You can. In fact, they gave them a better venue to preach the gospel at. In fact, one time the Catholic Church was uh, putting on something. They said, no, this is not your day. This is the Baptist Church's day. You don't get this day. You don't get Thursday. This is their day. So they ran them off. And one time, whenever he was out of town, he, uh, a man came and preached the gospel, but he preached it in spite, and he preached it uh, very hatefully. And uh, the dear brother called him up and said, listen, you have now heard my calls for the gospel. You're hurting him. I'm asking you to stop. You see, he has a right to say something to the man. He has a right to tell him to stop doing what you're doing. Why? Because he was preaching the gospel. Because he was preaching the gospel. The disciples are like armchair quarterbacks. They're looking at the little lad with the lunch and saying, what are these among so many? They're looking at the lady over here and saying, well, what is she doing with all of this? I mean, they could have, we could have given that to the poor. Sometimes we get upset with people that don't pay their taxes or give, don't give enough to their taxes. But the question you might ask yourself is, am I paying my taxes? You know, are you paying your tax on the gospel, if you will? Are you giving out the good news? Are you telling somebody else? Are you being a herald? Are you being an example of the gospel? A testimony of the Lord? Are you uh, showing out your faith to other people that are around you? If not, then be careful with, let us all be careful with our words about what others are doing with the gospel. Like I said, there's a lot of people that want to be armchair quarterbacks. But most of us couldn't even make it as a high school quarterback. I know I couldn't have. Most people want to tell everybody else what to do, and they've got the ideas, but there's very few people that are willing to put the time, the money, the effort, the energy, and the work into winning ball games. 
takes a lot to become a professional athlete. But it also takes a lot to sometimes give the gospel. Be careful what you think of others. Don't question the work. Get involved in the work. Amen? I remember I was taking a class one time. It had nothing to do with the Bible or anything. And the instructor of the class, uh, somebody asked a question about uh, some law or something that was happening uh, that was current in the news today. And he said, listen, he said, there's no reason for any of you to be complaining and bickering and, and, and getting on about this thing that something happened in the news, this current event. And um, he said, the only way to change something, he said, why don't you go down to the state legislature? They meet and start meeting in January. He said, start getting some laws passed. You don't like the way things are happening? Then why don't you go get a law passed? Why don't you do something about it? And I thought, wow, you know, and that, that's good preaching right there. And it wasn't even a Bible class or anything. I thought, that's great. Do something about it. We all like to say, hey, this or hey, that or look at them over there. Oh, I can't believe they did it like this. Hey, don't question the work. Get involved in the work. God will bless you for it. And then he'll give you some authority to question some things. Number two, don't question the word, but secondly, determine to give. I found this very interesting here in our text that the Bible says in verse number five of John chapter number six, when the Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, whence shall we buy bread? And Philip answers and says to the Lord, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient. Now there's a lot of question on this, whether or not the disciples actually had 200 penny worth uh, worth of uh, money uh, in their uh, in their satchel, it could have been. Uh, that's one reasonable thought that they had in the purse because there was twelve of them, and people were giving donations. There were people helping out of the ministry of the cause of Jesus's uh, work there that he was doing. It was the middle of his ministry; it would have been one of the highest points of his ministry. Uh, you notice that at the end of the story, they want to proclaim him as king. Uh, lift him up. So this would have been a high point of the ministry, no doubt. So there could have been 200 uh, penny worth there in their in the satchel. Most likely, what uh, it might have been is that Philip is just throwing out a number there, a big number, and saying, hey, if we had uh, two-thirds year worth of a salary, we wouldn't be able to feed all of these people. Whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter. What it matters is this, is that they were not willing to use the funds that they did have in order that they might help those people that needed the help. And so it is true also with the woman at the alabaster box. She had much to give to the Lord, and she gave it all to Him. She submitted her offering to the use of God's purposes. The question you have to ask yourself is this, am I willing to submit to God for my life for the use of the gospel, whatever it is. Ask yourself, how much am I willing to give to the gospel? You see, the, take your Bibles over to the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter number 21. You see, God is not so much concerned with how much you give. What He's concerned about, He's concerned about valuation. I never did understand, I didn't understand this at first, but uh, as I watched the, uh, one of our shows we enjoy watching from time to time is the Shark Tank. 
I didn't understand that show at first, but one thing that I did get to pick up on is that all the uh, sharks, the entrepreneurs, all the uh, millionaires are concerned with one thing. What's your valuation? What's, what's your company worth? You know, and how much are we going to get out of it in relationship to how much we're investing into it? You know, those, those guys are wise in their money, all right? They're probably sharks, most of them, but they're wise. They know what's going on with some things. They might even been a little lucky every once in a while. Whatever you want to call it, the point being is this, is that God is also concerned with value. Take your Luke chapter number 21 and verse number 1. Look at this. This is simply amazing to me. Is that Jesus is there in front of the, the temple. And he looked and he saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. Now you can find this. Uh, it was well reported archaeologically. Is that they, have, they would have these large brass uh, uh, vases that were been there. And people would have tossed their money into those. And as they put their money into those, uh, you know, it would be like you and me uh, cashing out all our dollar bills for uh, pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters and putting it into the offering plate, all right? Uh, can you imagine that this morning? And us having uh, metal offering plates. And imagine the ring, the, the sound that that would have made, the, the, the tinkling and all the noises that would have come out and reverberated out of those brass vases. And Jesus is seeing this, and the disciples are watching this. The Bible says that he saw these rich men casting into their gifts, and the disciples are amazed by this. They're very, they're very entranced by it all. But Jesus also sees somebody else. And he saw also a certain poor widow. More than they all. They must have scratched their heads for a second. Thought, man, they threw in a whole lot of money. For the Bible says in verse 4, For all of these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God, but she of her penury or her poverty hath cast in all the living that she had. To give you an idea of what a mite is worth, it's actually worth nothing in our time today. The valuation of a mite is not even in circulation because it is worth, it is valueless. It is not even the, uh, the two mites which equal a farthing, which would have been the farthing. Uh, the next uh, currency up from a mite is not even worth anything in our currency today. All right? So I'm giving you an idea that the penny is even more valuable than the farthing and the mite. It, 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 she, she literally, it's like she gave nothing, okay? That's what she gave. But she gave everything that she had. This is all she had. And God, Jesus Christ, is concerned, and he says he judges her based upon the value and how much she is worth. She was all, that was all that she was worth. There was a church that was needing some help. They were suffering from some major building uh, issues, and they needed some renovation done. They were trying to raise uh, a million pounds in England. There was one uh, particular wealthy gentleman um, who was worth uh, a million pounds at the time, and everybody knew that he was worth a million pounds. And when the uh, offering came by, that's that day, uh, to collect everything, 
to give a special offering that day. They uh, sent it around one time and uh, they counted it up and it wasn't enough. They sent it around again and it wasn't enough. The third time, the usher stopped by the wealthy gentleman and kind of poked him and said, Sir, would you not give anything today? And he said, Fine, I'll give my two mites. And the usher immediately spoke up in front of everybody and said, Dear gentlemen, dear ladies, he said, This man has promised to give the entire fund for all the building. See, he was worth a million pounds. And they needed a million pounds. He didn't understand what he was saying. She gave it all, folks. Everything. Everything. Now, are you well advanced in your Christian walk in life? How many years have you been saved? How long have you been saved? Then you know what? Your valuation ought to be more than some poor sinner that has just gotten saved. You know more about the gospel. You should be giving more in the gospel. You've been entrusted with much for the gospel. The little boy, though, in our text this morning, has a better testimony of being a witness for Christ and an example for others than the disciples do. And too often, poor newborn saints are better witnesses for the cause of Christ than age-old ones are. Have you been gifted in the area of teaching in the church? Then should your witness not be greater? It should be. It should be. should be a greater witness. The woman that was a prostitute and now is a daughter of God acts as a mighty witness more than even the Apostle Paul. In our text we read in Mark chapter 14 and verse number 9 that her witness was so great that today the Bible says that wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial for her. We're still preaching about the lady with the alabaster box and her testimony. She was a witness to the cause of Jesus Christ. She was a witness to the gospel. You know why she was a witness to the gospel? Because what was her gift for? It was for the purpose of Christ's burial. It was a picture that Christ would die for our sins and be risen again on the third day. Are you gifted in some talent that could be used in the ministry of the gospel? We're not just talking about money here this morning. I hope that's not what you're thinking this morning. I hope that you're not thinking that just because I read Luke 21 that we're talking about money, just money. Do you realize that God's a lot more concerned than just money? If somebody owned a cattle on a thousand hills, it wouldn't be enough to give to God. God is more concerned not just with money. He's concerned about our life. Can you play an instrument? Do you have some administrative skill that you could help and use for the ministry of the gospel? Some of you this week have decided to clean the missionary apartment for the gospel's sake. Could you take somebody out to eat or give a gospel track? Every once in a while, I, I would encourage you, every once in a while we've got, we got two signs that fall down because it's windy out there. Would you pick up a sign for the gospel? Maybe somebody see the sign and come in and be saved. You don't know what God can do. Just with your small act 
of service. With one small act of service, the little lad was able to feed 5,000 plus people. Just a small act. Five, uh, two sardines and five small barley loaves. A barley loaf was the poorest of bread that would be given out. Could you stuff a door hanger or maybe invite your neighborhood to Easter Sunday services? Uh, there's so many things. Do you know how to operate a shovel? Amen? It's not that hard. I could teach you. What, could you. what could you do? I'm just giving out examples, and I'm being a little funny, but I'm also being serious. What could you do about with the gospel? What could you do? Determine to give. Don't question the work. Get involved in the work. Determine to give to the work. I'm going to knock this plant over before it's over with. I've knocked it four or five times that I've been preaching since it's been up here. This boy had a lunch. This woman had a box of perfume. I don't know what you have, but everybody's got something. Don't think to yourself, I have nothing to give. You have something to give to God. You have something to give to God. I forget whose mom it was, but I'll never forget the story of of her uh, going down the aisle of an airplane, 93 years old. And at every single aisle, uh, people started getting a little frustrated. The line was backing up. He wasn't behind his mom, but finally he was a little frustrated. And he looked up ahead, and he finally uh, careened his neck around all the others that were uh, standing in line. And he noticed his 93-year-old mother handing a gospel tract to every single passenger that was still that was seated at the time how can you refuse a gospel track from a 93 year old woman you know it's like whenever we go out uh get to go out soul winning or telling folks about the gospel if i've got one of my kids with me you know what that immediately just uh breaks down a lot of barriers right there and helps you don't know what god can do with you my friend in the gospel determine to give be submitted to God and be willing to go. And number three, do what you can. God can use all of us. No matter if you're a little boy or somebody's life that has been ruined by sin and is now submitted over to Christ, God can use you in a positive and beneficial way for His kingdom's sake. To think that God cannot use you is to put a blight on God, as I said earlier. For if God can use the ant, then God can use you. Are you bigger than an ant? You have more intellect and more intellect and power, powerless than an ant? I would hope so. There's some people that don't. A lot of times we don't have the same work ethic as an ant. But we all are better, a little bit better than an ant. God can use us. God took the little lad's lunch and he multiplied it. As I noticed earlier, let me develop it more here. Go back to John chapter number 6 and notice this. Is that Philip told the Lord, if we had 200 penny worth of bread, it wouldn't be enough to feed this multitude. What was Philip doing? Philip was looking at the bag. He was looking at the lack thereof in order to fulfill the need that was present. And Jesus is proving him. What he's trying to get Philip to do is get his mind off the bag and get his mind on the master. Get his mind on God. 
Don't be thinking about the money. But he should have looked at the money and what was in the bag and should have said, Lord, this is all we have. 200 penny worth. Let's just say that he did have two-thirds worth of a salary. And it wasn't enough. He could have said, Lord, this is all we got. It's not enough to feed everybody here. But, Lord, we give it to you and we think that you can do something with it. Wouldn't that have been a better response? But don't we oftentimes look at the bank account and we, can't, we say, I can't give any more to missions. I can't give to God. I can't tithe. I can't help the poor. I mean, I got to help myself. Or we look at our life and we say, I've never went to Bible college. I'm not a Sunday school teacher or I'm not, I, I, I haven't grown up in church and people know how I used to live and God can't use me. Or we look at maybe our skills, or we look at maybe our life, or we look at maybe our situation, and we say, I can't be used of God, but my friend, that's a blight on God. You can be used of God, and you should be used of God, and you should be in being used of God, if that makes grammatical sense. Andrew comes up next in John 6. It's not just bad enough that one of them has a lack of faith. It's bad that the other one does too. And he says to the Lord, here's a lad here, a little kid. And mama sent him packing this morning with some bread and little fish. But then he asks a doubting question. What are they among so many? And we really give Thomas a hard time, doubting Thomas, don't we? But all 12 of these apostles, they were all doubters. All of them were. He's got the same attitude that Philip had. What good is a small little meal of barley and fish, barely sufficient to feed this little boy among so many people? So, God, as he oftentimes does, does not use the disciples yet, but uses this little lad and this little meal that he has. And you today might just be a little lad, or you might be a great father of the faith. It doesn't matter. God can use you, and you have to ask yourself, am I willing to be used? But did I give you the rest of the story? I read it to you. Jesus tells them, make the men to sit down in verse 10. So the men sat down. In verse 11 is what really sets me off. And Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed the disciples and disciples to them that were set down. That is mercy, my friend. That is God's amazing grace. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't even count me out when my faith quivers. When my faith quivers, he still wants to use you. He still wanted to use these guys. Their faith was weak. Their faith was small. Their strength was small. But they were trusting in a big God. They get to see firsthand what Jesus is doing here. 
And even sometimes, though your faith may be strong, you may be going through a trial, through a difficulty, that it doesn't matter, my friend, God can still use you and wants to use you and will use you. What I believe the key to it all is this, is that the disciples, though they had problems, though they had doubts, though they still had a lot of growing to do in those last couple of years, I believe the issue, the key for all of them was this, is that 11 out of the 12 were ready for the master's use. They were ready. And you might not be very skilled, and you might not have the best of this or that, but my friend, if you're ready and willing to be used of God, that is the key factor in being a witness. I would encourage you, pray this prayer. God, would you use me today? When was the last time you prayed that? God, I'm not worthy, I'm not able, I'm smaller than an ant. Would you use me today, God? Because you see, just like the lady that was at the offerings that day, and all she had was those two mites, so it is true with the woman that gave the alabaster box. Jesus says these all-important words. She hath done what she could. God is not looking for you to do something that you cannot do. He's looking for what you can do. What you could. What you could do. And if you do something that you can do, you're willing, then God can do something in you that you cannot even do in yourself. You see that? This lady had the ability to give the alabaster box. She had no ability to have the thing recorded in the inspired word of God and then preached on every single continent in the world. She had no ability to do that. The little lad, what did he have? He had a little lunch, and he had done what he could. He had no ability to feed 5,000 plus people. You see, when you do what you can do, God can take what you can do and make it into something that you can't do because he's a miracle-working God. He can take your stumbling, stammering, testimony and witness for Christ and use that to save a soul that was bound for hell. Determine to go, to give. Don't question the work and do what you can for the glory of God. Father, we're thankful.